Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use, no doubt, starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for January the 9th in the year of our Lord, 2023. This is our one of two, and the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, to do so using the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America, using the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the Founding Fathers, rejecting revolution and standing for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, on Saturday, I was live from the Utah Eagle Forum Convention. We'll talk about that later as the broadcast unfolds. I also had Chris Carlson on with me. He says, without God, we can never win. With God, we can never lose. The battle for liberty is the Lord's, but we need to be engaged in the fight. Amen to that. We talked about Kevin McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen. Fraud, coward, and pansy. That's what Wayne Allen Root writes on supposed GOP humiliation. Here's what Wayne Allen Root says, and I completely agree with him on this point. He says, the entire media and government is gaslighting you. Yeah, WNE.com with the article. I agree with that. McCarthy is a traitor, ladies and gentlemen. He is part of the swamp. He isn't trustworthy. He isn't reliable. How can we trust him? He's simply Nancy Pelosi 2.0. Yeah, for example, let's just ask this question under McCarthy's leadership. Will they release all the J6 evidence and investigate the FBI for their criminal activity? I seriously doubt it. We talked in detail about the essence of good government. We talked about, for example, if you're walking past a swimming pool after dark and there's a sign on there that says no trespassing there, right? Swimming after dark prohibited by law. So now you can't trespass, you can't swim after dark, but somebody's drowning in the pool. Do you save them or do you say, no, the law says there, you know, I save them, folks, because of the moral reality that we face. You know, morals have kind of a hierarchy. Certain things are more important than others. We talked about Kitty Genanese uh, and the Genanese syndrome. Um, it's the bystander effect, if you will, where people just simply sit by and do nothing. Oftentimes, why? Founding fathers understood the essence of proper role of government. One of the course of human events that becomes necessary or morally justifiable for people to dissolve their bands with another. Well, the Boston Tea Party was a political protest. How come we hesitate so much in modern times? It's a fair, honest, open question. And I brought up the reason that we are justified in hesitating many times is because the Tea Party, or sometimes violating the laws of our land, isn't justifiable because we have better ways within the framework that our founding fathers have put in place to solve the problems that we face. That's why I believe secession is not justifiable. That's why I believe an Article Convention, or an Article Five Convention, or a ConCon is not justifiable because we have a different ballgame than our founders had. We have solutions, right? All men are not created equal. We got a natural aristocracy going on, folks. This, of course, is a grand illusion folks it denies the principle of free agency we've got to understand you know what 
we're not all created equal at all. You know, Scott Bradley's a doctor. I'm just a redneck, see? You, you got to understand, some people are good looking and some people are me, have a face for radio. We're not all created, created equal. Edward Bernays, the father of propaganda, uh, wants to deny you the truth, okay? We are born equal in terms of before God we should have rights and before government they should codify those rights for all of us equally. I agree. But government was made for mankind, not the other way around. Government was designed to secure our rights. Bastier said, life, liberty, and property do not exist because men have made laws. On the contrary, because of life, liberty, and property, men have made laws. Limited government, believe it or not, lends to peaceful societies, folks, is the reality. We talked about what it would take to have peaceful societies. Without a moral people, it's going to be a very, very tough road to hoe. That's a recap of the broadcast that myself and Chris Carlson discussed. But, wow, did they sell us out Friday night? <clears throat> Kevin McCarthy became Speaker of the House. What a disgrace that was and is. Dr. Bradley, freedomsrisingsun.com. Welcome back to the broadcast. So uh, McCarthy that. caved. or um, I'm sorry, McCarthy won. Gates and others caved, sir. Yeah, they didn't vote for him. Uh, there's kind of a well, kind a, of. When you hold on, when you literally put your vote on a halt or vote present or whatever you want to say, but you didn't vote for him, you're really playing games because your vote put him over the top. So we're well, playing games that, here with words now. That is. That's a. That's a parliamentary protocol kind of thing. They just so your listeners kind of continue to track with us. Maybe the Republicans have 222 Republicans in in the House. I'm not saying they have the votes because they sure don't. And the Democrats picked their guy with 212 votes to get House Speaker. Uh, if you're going to take the you know 50 percent plus one because there's 435 in there, you have to go to 218 votes. Well, it seemed like the Republicans, you know, could have, you know, they have a little bit of a, a scooch room in there. They had six votes or so. Anyway, um, not six, four, over the top. The six we'll talk about in just a second. But at any rate, so uh, the big deal was getting him to 218. And uh, we talked about last Friday about the uh, difficulties that he was having to get there. But if he just vote present, which... Six Republicans did. Let's see, the guy out of Arizona, another guy out of Arizona, another guy out of Montana, a uh, guy out of Ver Vermont, not Vermont, Virginia, a uh, guy out of Florida, and a uh, gal out of Colorado. So there were six people that voted present. So if you take six from 222, that gives you 216 is what he needed to get in order to be able to be installed as the So let's make <coughs> let's make it clear so people understand. What we're saying to you is the House of Representatives has what's called a quorum. And if you constitute a quorum, then you uh, can look at the quorum and say the full quorum equates to uh, whatever you got to have plus 1, so to speak. Uh, in other words, you lower the bar by your voting present, right? Well, they did lower his that was needful, so he got 216 votes. He won, but those six people didn't vote for him, but by not voting, they allowed him to get in because 
if they had voted, there would have been a need of 218 people to get in, 218 votes. So it's almost so it worse than voting for him. Well, it is, but the reality of the, the situation was that it wasn't going to happen. I mean, there these if these six had continued to holding out, you know, we, we've talked last Saturday about how <laughs> things were, I'm not Saturday, Friday, about the uh, uh, somehow... We, this thing could be drawn out and drawn out and drawn out and drawn out. And, and uh, so uh, it, it was something they allowed it to happen, but it wasn't going to happen unless they did. And I, I wish. That's why, to me, it's a vote for. You can play games with words. You can abstain and lower the bar as opposed to voting for. So you can supposedly save face later for people who don't, uh, who don't understand the semantics of this thing and say, no, I never voted for him. I didn't do it. But the fact is they did it and they made it possible. If they would have held out, he would have been shut down and they'd be looking at it this morning. Uh, and at some point, else. McCarthy would have been forced to back away from the speakership. Uh, but they gave him the go ahead. Speakership. Yeah. They, they, and here's they here's did. why I say it was a shame by Matt Getz or Gates, whatever you say. All right, listen carefully to what he said. He was asked why he decided to not vote, lower the bar, really vote for the speaker. I ran out of things that I can even imagine to ask for, Matt Gates said when asked why he finally reversed course on McCarthy for the speakership. He ran out of things to ask for. Now, let me just tell you, that is one of the most telling statements I've ever heard. In other words, it wasn't about stopping the speaker. It was just about extracting as much as I could possibly get before I voted for him to be speaker. And the way you do that is you get as much as you can get on concessions. You then back away and then say, hey, I'm not going to vote. I'm going to abstain or present. And then the bar's lowered and then he gets in all Gates did was hold out for concessions. Now, the problem with these concessions, when you uh, force a speaker to be so compromised, is you destroy his ability to govern, and you also create temporary or one-time or special rules that two people created, basically, Matt and Kevin. <clears throat> Kevin went on the altar for Matt and did what he wanted. But see, in my opinion, you destroy stability in the House when you do this. You destroy you left all the other people on the sidelines when you do this to a great degree. Uh, to me, this is a disgrace on both people's parts. Now, most conservatives, most Republicans will say, no, Sam, you don't know what you're talking about. You uh, Look, he got a lot of good things, and maybe so. But the next guys that do it will you know, hold out for bad things. And you've set a horrible, in my opinion, president that will come back to haunt us, doctor. Okay, well, last Friday, as you recall, and again, we probably don't need to reconstruct the whole hour, we did talk about this concession concept, and I talked about how behind the scenes, you know, there were probably subcommittee chairmanships that were being doled out and stuff like that. Now, what has been reported, looks like we've got to take a break. So we'll talk about maybe when we get back about the Yeah, when we come back, we'll talk about what the compromises are, have been, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is an absolute disgrace. It just proves that Washington will never be the answer for us. Local is the only real solutions we can focus on. We'll talk about it in seconds on your radio.
Have you ever heard of Loving Liberty Ladies? Well, the Loving Liberty Ladies are here to help you learn our American heritage and the way it affects today's society. The Loving Liberty Ladies also have a discussion guide called Proclaim Liberty. And with this guide, you can start your own group in your hometown. Get yours today on our website at lovingliberty.net. Look for our lesson supplements too. They're free. To hear all the special offers and to join the fight for freedom and liberty, please go to lovingliberty.net. The spirit of the American West is alive and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues of the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like this year's Buckaroo calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present day church. Rather, it is for the end time church, the body of the line of Judah. A message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. On your radio, ladies and gentlemen. So I say Kevin McCarthy made a huge win. The Republicans lost big. Poor Matt Getz ran out of things to compromise the speaker with. So he finally just uh, helped him become speaker there. Uh, and right before the break, Dr. Bradley was speaking of Friday. We broke this down a little bit. Hey, they're, they're backroom concession dealing right now. Uh, but this just proves that Matt Getz had no desire to really stop Kevin from being the speaker. He just wanted to extract as much as that he could get from the speaker, compromising him along the way. Uh, and we'll talk about the details of what was um, reportedly on the altar. Doctor? Okay, I, I don't believe that we publicly know all of the concessions that were made. I believe that there are backroom deals made and they'll roll out sometime in the near future, I suspect. But, uh, you know, here's here's Jeffries, the the majority leader, the Democrat, he's talking more like you, Sam, that this has been a complete American people are going to be held captive over the next two years. So, and he's blaming, uh, they always turn it back to Trump. Okay, and I know you're not. But at any rate, here's here's what has been publicized. And I've gone through a lot of the reviews that have been reported. Again, I don't believe we've got the whole story at this point. But, but uh Good or bad, I guess you're going to have to, in your own mind, sort these, and maybe we talk about them over time. But let's run through them. The number of members needed to call for a motion to vacate the Speaker's chair is now at one. So if Gats on 
Tuesday morning says, I'll call for a motion to vacate the, you know, the chair. And previously, McCarthy proposed five could call for a motion to vacate. Okay, but well, that concession was one. Okay, so to remove, to raise the debt ceiling must be accompanied by spending cuts. That's what CNN has reported. I'm going through a number of different reports that are out there, okay? Okay, so they're, they've supposed to establish whether it'll happen and have any teeth, I don't know, a rules, excuse me, a select committee on how the federal government has been weaponized in recent years. Okay, now, you remember just the other day we passed that $1.7 trillion omnibus bill McCarthy agreed to vote individually on 12 appropriation bills. So it'll be split up at least by 12, which is probably not adequate because there'll be pork in each of those probably too. Okay, so <clears throat> they could still amend appropriation legislation, or they will be able to. It'll reinstate it, what they call a Holman rule, to reduce salary of government officials, which, you know, the House and the Senate might want to apply it to themselves. Okay, now there's another one. Uh, it allows lawmakers 72 hours to review bills before they come to the House floor. Okay, so also there's a, uh, the rules package includes votes on bills that uh, sometimes are kind of critical about border security and abortion. Okay, now those are ones that have been publicized as to what concessions have been established. And, and you, you can say, well, were they incremental steps in the right direction? And, and there can be a debate about that because, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, if you will. So the next Speaker of the House might say, okay, you guys, we're getting rid of that 12 appropriations bill one that we so stupidly agreed to to get McCarthy in, whatever, whatever. But if, if people abide by these, there might be some incremental good that comes out of them. this nonsense of voting for a huge they're not going to abide by it. They already had 72-hour waiting rules to read bills that they ignored over and over and over and over. They did, again. Okay, so this, this is, is focused. This is games in many times and in many ways. But the question becomes, well, I, yeah, first of all, I personally didn't think that McCarthy was a good choice at any time and still isn't, okay? But uh, the idea of someone being brought forth that would be a, a better choice you know, Steve Scalise, we, we talked about him being the number two guy, the whip, that would could possibly play out. But as you and I were talking about it on Friday, someone within the House to do that, I mean, was Bobert going to get pit, picked or was Gatz or was, uh, was uh, what's her name, Marjorie Taylor Greene or was, uh, uh, I mean, Brooke? I mean, th think about this for a second. Some of these people that, that uh, you know, Bob Good, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't believe that any one of them could have gotten more than two or three votes, maybe six, I guess. I, you could say if these other people voted for them and themselves. But, uh, yep. And you're I just showing House, how the Republicans are no different than the Democrats. If any of these real constitutionally-minded Americans who have a track record to prove it, uh, could only get two or three votes, then, hey, we're so far down the road of broken, so far down the road of deep state, so far down the road to where, hey, Congress is just absolutely irrelevant. Eventually, they will just destroy themselves and destroy the country and destroy Washington. It'll go down with it. That's the reality, you know, doctor. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we are in a big, big hurt right now, and it comes to we the people. You know, two years from now, we're going to have the opportunity to have a whole brand new House of Representatives, and it's time to begin 
that process. You know, there's a uh, a rep out of uh, Kentucky. He's absolutely convinced that uh, uh, there's going to be a motion to remove McCarthy. You know, he he's, he talked on this Meet the Press yesterday. Uh, he's absolutely convinced that this ain't over, that the, uh, the McCarthy stranglehold, if you will, <laughs> that Pelosi seemed to wield, is is not done, and I'm I'm hoping that that it will become a little bit more apparent who might be able to do the right thing for the right reasons. But right now, the Republicans really don't seem to have a uh, a lock on any good principles. I mean, like I say, there were six that held withheld their vote, which allowed him to come in. Uh, but if you look at the track record of most of those people, they're number one. They they tend to vote more constitutionally, and number two. They tend to be the pariahs of the press. I mean, the people on the lame brain press, that would a lot of better known as the mainstream press, they can't say enough bad about those people. And, and that gives you some idea. Well, they might be right sometimes. You know, that's kind of how you have to do it. You have to judge. Yeah, but you've really proven right. that even when you hold out with your tiny group, you'll never get your win. You'll just simply compromise and lose. That's what we've not really right sent now, as not. a signal. Yeah, we're not. We're not getting it now. I mean. And, and, and the Gates is being is, called a tactical genius, but I submit to you that he simply broke the system and caved. Yeah, and we got what we were going to get anyway, and it only took six ballots. No, excuse me. It only took 15 ballots that six people uh, voted present on to be able to, uh, to to get what he wanted. And again, poor choice. Were there any good choices? Uh, I don't see any that had a pathway to victory at all. That, we're in, that are currently in the House. And, again, you may say, well, I like this person or this gal or whatever, but, but they don't have a pathway to victory. And so when, when you say that, that uh, Matt gave, gave up after he'd got as many concessions as he could, we'll, we'll go back and review that list of concessions we just talked about. And, and uh, you know, there's some of them that really probably ought to be applied. I mean, this stuff about... You know, putting all the, everything in one big pork barrel and, and passing the barrel out with the oozing pork out the sides. Yeah, you think they're going to stop thing? that? Do you think they're I, really going to go to one-item bills? Well, they're going to go to 12 right now. I mean, yeah, I wish, do a, I wish they'd do it. I wish they'd do it. How a, many pages an I, item, doctor, there? Well, if you do 12 into 4,155, you'll get some idea. <laughs> of what happened on this last go around. It's a big deal. I don't mean to be it negative. Is. I'm just telling you right now, folks, they have failed us so big it's time to button down the hatches. We're going to talk next hour, or I'm sorry, in the next half hour, uh, we're going to talk about a gentleman who really uh, is bringing up solutions now. The group is called FortitudeRanch.com, and we were going to talk about Eagle Forum, but I've got to switch gears and talk about this Fortitude Ranch. Because uh, you know what, folks, we've got to do something, and you've got to somehow find ways to start protecting your family. Pretty soon, Congress is going to be responsible for selling us down the river on environmental issues. Pretty soon, you won't even be able to eat. You'll be able to drive your car all hungry uh, and stuff like that with the agenda these people have planned for us. And we've proven we cannot hold out or stop them from anything, even when the Republicans take charge. You can't stop them from anything that we want to stop them from. Now, I wish it were different. But I'm telling you right now, Congress is absolutely 100% broken. And uh, any good in there that you find, they have zero power. They're elected in name only uh, because we, the people, don't give them any power. Uh, and, you know, why some of these constitutionalists can't get a single vote is very, 
Very telling. Why some of these names that were constitutional people didn't even come up for a vote uh, is very telling uh, as well. We never even got there. All we did is vote for McCarthy like 15 times along with a bunch of other yahoos, Democrats and everybody else and, you know, Steve Scalise's and, and, and people that don't matter. And the end of the day, we got nothing. A few concessions that probably will be half honored. But now the speakership, if you will, is so tenuous. One person can call for the ouster. It's just going to be nothing but a political circus up there, ladies and gentlemen. That's all you're going to see is Congress. You can watch the circus all day if you want to. I prefer to focus on different solutions that might have a prayer making a difference for myself and my family. Back in seconds, Dr. Scott Bradley with me. FreedomsRisingSun.com is his website. And you are listening to the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live. Proclaiming liberty across the land. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Lance Pry. Former Virginia Tech women's soccer player Kirsten Henning, who accused her coach of benching her because she wouldn't kneel during the national anthem, will reportedly receive at least $100,000 as part of an agreement to dismiss a federal lawsuit. Kirsten will receive the award as part of a settlement in the lawsuit she filed in 2021 against head coach Charles Adder on her First Amendment rights being violated. The House will dive into its first week of work Monday morning with bills to cut the Internal Revenue Service funding and investigate economic competition from China. Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the Republican from California, is now Speaker of the House after a lengthy election process proving democracy is alive and well in America. With love for this country and charity for each other. Let us now take our oath and be worthy of the office on which we are about to enter. God bless everybody in this chamber, and God bless America. California Governor Gavin Newsom is asking President Biden to make an emergency declaration after a series of deadly storms poured much-needed water onto the Golden State. As the National Weather Service warned, the most potent system will arrive today. We're anticipating some very intense weather coming in, and that's the imperative that we're trying to express here is the seriousness of purpose in terms of just being safe and being thoughtful. The Democrat governor describes the lives lost from recent storms. In the last 10 days, 12 people have lost their lives to these floods, 12 people. Again, more than have lost their lives, civilians, that is, to wildfires in the last two years. College football's national championship game will take place this evening to determine the best in the land. Texas Christian University out of Fort Worth, Texas, and the Georgia Bulldogs will play in Los Angeles, California. Today is National Law Enforcement Appreciation Day. This is USA News. With PatriotSoftware.com, accounting and payroll, keep your time and money. Mike Kappel here, serial entrepreneur with words from another happy payroll customer. Well, it's very easy to use from the login and the setup was extremely easy. I didn't have to call anyone for help. I was able to do it on my own. And I love the fact that I can run my payroll and print my pay stubs, and then you guys do all of the filing for me. So I get a quarterly report that everything's been filed on my behalf, and then at the end of the year, I can print out my W-2s. So I use you guys 
I tell everybody, it's the easiest thing I've ever done. Why anybody doesn't use y'all, I don't know. Visit us at PatriotSoftware.com. Use promo code RADIO and get two months of payroll free. That's PatriotSoftware.com. With PatriotSoftware.com, accounting and payroll, keep your time and money. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Bushman and Dr. Bradley moving away from the feckless Congress to real solutions that might make a difference. That's preparation for you and your family. We've got on the line with us now a guy, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Drew Miller, and he's got a bunch of credentials behind his names, but ultimately he's the CEO of FortitudeRanch.com, which we'll be talking about in more detail in seconds. Drew, welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live, sir. Thank you, Sam. It's a great honor to be on Liberty Roundtable. You betcha. Now, tell me this. You're a doctor. You've got a gazillion acronyms behind your name. Tell us about who you are first. Well, probably the most important thing is I'm a retired Air Force colonel. I went to the Air Force Academy, uh, graduated, and got an academic scholarship to Harvard University. So I got my master's degree there. Then back into the Air Force, served as an intelligence officer, uh, active duty, and then guard and reserve for 30 years. So I'm a retired Air Force colonel. But I've also worked in the Department of Defense in the Pentagon as the research staff at the Institute for Defense Analyses. And then since I was reserve, I was also able to do a business career. I worked at ConAgra in corporate planning and development. And I know you have a lot of county sheriffs on your show. I was a county commissioner, just part-time work in Nebraska. So I spent a lot of time with law enforcement and jail and other issues uh, indirectly as a county commissioner, but been a prepper for decades. And like most preppers, you know, initially plan to do it on your own. But if you really think it through, if it's a bad collapse, there are going to be a lot of marauders out there and you just need to have a lot of guards on duty all the time. And you can't do that as a family or even several families. So voluntary survival communities started getting going. They've been around for a long time, but the problem is they just fall apart. There's just too much arguing over who's in charge. Should we buy a second radiation detector or not? They're very expensive. So we developed the Fortitude Ranch business as a way to make surviving affordable for the middle class and more effective than you can get even at the very expensive options. Now, it's surprising, usually, when you have that much uh, government and academic service, uh, it takes the patriotism right out of you. Drew, you've managed to stay uh, stay true the whole time, huh? Well, I think the vast majority of both military and people who serve in government are good folks. It's just that the system grinds you down, and uh, the people in charge at the top um, have other agendas sometimes, unfortunately, namely re-election. Sad tale, but true as could be. Uh, so Fortitude Ranch, tell me kind of how that got started. I know you kind of say it got started in the, the prepper idea. You can't make it as families, and so you've got to – tell me the organization, how it is, and I guess you guys are starting franchises, right? Yeah, we have been uh, operating for 10 years now, and in the last couple of years, not so much with the virus but more the civil unrest, the things you see in Portland and the attacks on police. Uh, that has really spurred much, much more interest in preparedness, even to the point where even the Washington Post ran an article recently saying the preppers were right. You need to be prepared. People recognize it now. So we can't keep up with demand, so we're expanding. But, but back to your question, how do we get founded? Again, I've been a prepper for decades, and like most, was trying to do it on my own. But if you really think it through, you cannot do this on your own. Uh, when the electric grid goes down, which is highly unlikely, when there's a 
human to human transmissible version of avian flu, and biologists use the word inevitable to say this is going to happen. And it's not, it's not COVID, much, much less than 1% lethal, 60% lethal in its present form. When that happens, no one is going to work. There will be no food production, no food deliveries. Uh, policemen are either going to stay home to keep themselves alive or they're going to get killed, exposed to a virus or to marauder groups that form. And 95% of Americans are not prepared. They're either going to have to stay at home and starve to death or they're going to go out and steal and they're going to go out and steal. There's 2 million Americans we've got locked up in jails. They're guaranteed not to be prepared and you cannot keep prisoners in jail if there's no electric system. Prison, you know, said I was a county commissioner. One of my duties was I inspected the county jail once a month. We had to do it. And you don't move prisoner from here to there without going through electric doors that lock and close. No electricity, no jails can operate. Now they've got diesel backup generators just like hospitals do, but after three days, fuel's gone. So in an electric grid down situation, in a pandemic situation where no guard in their right mind will go to work and expose themselves to a 60% lethal virus, you're gonna have to release 2 million people. What are they gonna do? How are they going to stay alive? They're going to go out stealing, robbing, marauding, and killing. So you need to have a place you can go that's all set up, and you need a lot of people there because you need a lot of guards on duty because it's not going to be necessarily one or two neighbors trying to break into your place. It's going to be organized gangs because that's what people will do to survive. So that was the origin of Fortitude Ranch over 10 years ago. We started in West Virginia, then Colorado. We've got, we use the term corporate locations now in West Virginia, Colorado, Wisconsin, Texas, and Nevada. And we've got so many people waiting to join that we've started franchising now. Wow. So let's talk about the first one. Which one was the first one, Bill? Uh, well, we did some testing in Colorado, but the actual first location that opened is in West Virginia. And kind of interesting, I mean, you were talking about, you know, congressmen have, you know, their own agenda. Well, congressmen have protection. Uh, when the shit hits the fan, you and I are on their own, but congressmen and their families, their families too, they're going to be whisked off to Mount Weather, which is in Virginia. And I don't give out our precise locations, but Fort Ranch, West Virginia is not too far away from them. And um, it's a great place to survive. It's a forest location. It's not far from D.C. They can get their people there fairly quickly. Huge FEMA facility. Uh, largely underground, and huge construction is going on there now on the surface. You drive by there, and you can't get into it, obviously, but you can drive by and see massive construction going on on the surface, but most of it's underground. So at taxpayer expense, congressmen, all the top officials in the federal government, they've got fantastic protection, and there's nothing being done for us. And this expansion is going on now, and you'd think, well, if there's expansion going on, and they're more concerned about threats, why aren't they warning people? There are no warnings issued to us. We're just told, oh, don't worry, we'll take care of you. But that's nonsense. When the, when the grid goes down, when there's a bad pandemic, Yellowstone goes off and you know has massive destruction and food production can't be continued because of the aftermath of that. Any kind of disaster you wanna name, an asteroid hits and causes tsunamis and wipes out coastal areas. You know, everything will break down and there's no way the government is going to protect you. So you should be preparing to do it on your own, but the government doesn't do anything to help or even warn people of their need to be prepared. And the threat levels are rising. 
Uh, and it's, I'm not just talking about Russia and China and Taiwan, the things you know about. The technological advance is happening all the time. Biotechnology is the one that scares the most for me. Uh, but new means to do nuclear weapons production, uh, nanotechnology, artificial intelligence, uh, all these new technologies, they're very good. They can be put to excellent use, but you know, all it takes is one or two bad people to put new technologies to bad use. And the destructive power of individuals today dwarfs anything in the past. You could have one dedicated Unabomber type person in their basement using research from our famous gain of function research you've heard so much about. Well, we did it several years ago on how to make avian flu human to human contagious or mammal to mammal contagious. Not only was that research done with your taxpayer funds, they published it. They had success in making avian flu, 60% bird flu, contagious between mammals. They use ferrets in their test. And, um, and so it's tremendous that they did this in the first place. But then after that, they published it. Open source publication of how you do it. And it is not CRISPR technology. It is not high-tech biological machinery you need to do that. It's a simple method. I don't discuss it on the air. I don't want to you know, contribute to people finding out how to do it. But I know how to do it because I've read it. And anyone around the world, certainly Al-Qaeda members and terrorists and people who think there's too many people and we need to wipe out a few billion people, they can read that. They can do that on their own. And one person today has the ability to make a virus 60% lethal and release it. And when that happens, it's game over uh, for most of civilization. The, the, you've heard of the 1918 Spanish flu. A lot of problems oh, yes. with that name. First of, all, first of all, it wasn't Spanish. It actually, most people think, started in Kansas. Uh, but secondly, it wasn't 1918. It lasted a year and a half before that pandemic played out. So imagine a year and a half or more of a 60% lethal virus. No one's going to work. Nothing is going to function. All the infrastructure will break down. You're on your own for a year and a half. And the only way you're going to stay alive is, one, you're prepared. You're a member of Fortitude Ranch, or you've got really, really good other measures to stay alive. Or two, you're in the government. You're taken care of if you're at Mount Weather or Site R or the other government facilities. Or three, you've got to form a marauder group and steal from the folks who have supplies, or you're going to die. Dr. Bradley? <laughs> Oh, ain't it awful? Uh, <laughs> well, Dr. Miller brings out a lot of really good points. I mean, I I remember the days when the government was trying to help the people get ready. I mean, there were uh, shelters that were happening. Hey, can you guys uh, skip the break real quick? Go ahead, doctor. We had uh, uh, shelters everywhere. Uh, not everywhere, but many of the places that were... Uh, available in large metro areas and everything like that. These have all fallen into disarray. Uh, I I worked under Cheyenne Mountain in uh, Colorado Springs for a while as a defense contractor. I, In fact, I've probably been, uh, Dr. Miller graduated from the Air Force Academy. I've probably been in a lot of places in the academy and <laughs> under the academy that he never heard of. But uh, there was... There oh, cadets used to break into those places all the time. We know about the underground <laughs> tunnels. <laughs> Okay, well, you you got an idea then about uh, you know the infrastructure that's out there, but these kinds of approaches to things have been used uh, for uh, since almost mortality began, and and you look at how the Illuminati and the Jacobins did their thing with the French. They they broke down the infrastructure. They let the criminals free. 
Uh, they were the ones that were, you know, basically marauders out, as has been mentioned here. And they dumped food supplies in the Seine River. Uh, I mean, all the stuff happened. The, the Bolsheviks used it again in Russia. And they didn't have to do a lot to disrupt things because of the way uh, World War I had played out uh, based on the uh, annihilation of so many people. Uh, HEMP, High Altitude Electromagnetic Pulse, HEMP, uh, that, will, that will put our water supplies out of business. I mean, there's all sorts mm -hmm. of, like I say, oh, awful stuff that could happen. We do need a, a community to be able to survive. I mean, one of the things that came out of our studies of Bosnia and what was going on there, if somebody, you know, bunkered up and hunkered down uh, with just their family, sooner or later people had to sleep. So there's a, there's a good idea of being able to gather um, and I, you know, the thi I'd like to find out more about what you're offering and, and suggesting. I suggest that we're going to need 10,000 locations, uh, or maybe even 100,000 locations, to be able to make a dent into uh, something. And I think that individuals uh, need to be wise in what they expect. I, if I had to go to from my home and go to Kalispell, Montana, I don't think you have one there. I do know of a bunker up place in just out of Gardner, Montana, that's probably big enough for two or three hundred people, but that's still an infinitely small place that um, that we could do that. I mean, this needs to become something that people need to think about and kind of take their expedient measures actions uh, to find out what to do, because most people don't know that uh, the, the grid could be brought down by an EMP or it could be destroyed by a few uh, strategically placed weapons. Uh, we used to do these kind of scenarios all the time when, when I was under the mountain, so to speak. But uh, mm -hmm. no, there. This is this is something people need to have their level of awareness raised. They need to think about this. They need to talk about it. They need to, to start having it part of their discussions within families. You don't want to make their kid your skit kids scared all the time, and that's all you're doing. But have a viable plan. And yeah, they say prepare it. for the worst, enjoy the present, think about a private membership vacation club, a country club, and survivable community. So in the good times, it's a fun place to go. In the bad times, it's a place to survive. And they got a full-time staff for each one of them. And um, it's especially attractive to join because the doubling of this recreation and vacation facility along with a survivalist uh if the need arises, Drew? Yeah, that's correct, though. So we're a survival committee in bad times, but in normal times, our members can come out and vacation, not just at their home fort where they've got their weapons and emergency supplies stored, but you can go to any Fortune Ranch location, and that will include franchise locations as they come online to vacation. And we're in we're right rural areas. Uh, so, yeah, again, I don't give out exact locations, but we're in the mountains in Colorado. We're in central Texas with lots of fishing and hunting and, you know, access to go to tourist attractions around there. We're surrounded by the George Washington National Forest in West Virginia. Our franchise location that's starting up in Tennessee is in the Cherokee National Forest. In Nevada, we're up in the northern desert, uh, but we have springs. <laughs> we're not desert. We've got five springs and more on our place up there. And then in Wisconsin, we're on the lakes up there. So you could do a vacation up to two weeks a year as a member at any of our locations. But, but our, main, our major mission is survival. It's a place where members can come to survive and ride out of collapse. And Dr. Badley is exactly right. We used to have civil defense. And the threat level is up now versus before. It's not just Russia. There's so many new sources of threats. Threat levels are up. 
disasters will be worse, but government's doing nothing for them. And the absolute priority of government in a collapse is continuity of government. Dr. Bradley's, I'm sure, well aware of this. And there's plans you can Google and find them on the web. But the top goal of government at all levels, not just federal, but state and even big city level, is to keep the elected officials protected and alive. So again, Congress will go to Mount Weather, Site R in Pennsylvania is another one. A lot of top federal officials will go to. But even at the state level, you you know, if you see the governor, you normally will notice there's a state patrol person, you know, bodyguard with them. Well, in a collapse with the threats up, there'll be more state patrol assigned to protect the governor. And big cities, the mayors and even some city councilmen, they're all going to get police protection if police are available. And what's left for us? When you're in your home and there's marauders going through your neighborhood, breaking into houses, stealing food, shooting people if they resist, and you call the police, they're not going to answer the phone or the radio. And they just, I'm not criticizing the police, they just won't have the resources. They are going to be tasked with continuity of government, protecting the elected officials and the top officials as their top priority. And you're on your own. It's going to be much worse security than you face day to day in a collapse. And, you know, you might be able to hunker down in your house and ride it out if it's short term. But if the grid goes down, it will take, I mean, the, the congressionally funded EMP commission warned in the report well over a decade ago that when the grid goes down, it's chaos. You could lose, they estimated, 90% of the U.S. population could die. Uh, Dr. Bell, you mentioned the water systems. You don't have any electricity. You don't have water pumps. There is no municipal water supply. So water supply will be gone instantly. Yeah. It gets bad and, real uh, fast. The sewers really stuff, fast. If you don't have any power, you don't have sewers, which means nope. it backs up. And, and what you do is you become septic on almost everything. You've got uh, yep. uh, the problem. If you look at what happened in, in what we did to Iraq when we started uh bombing them back to the dark ages you look what happened in afghanistan you look what happened in bosnia all of these things are lessons we can learn if if things went upside down and so yeah there's a lot of lessons to learn but americans always figure they're going to be able to adjust their temperature within two degrees of whatever they want and everything's always good and uh, the grocery store it's like one uh, i don't know if they call them snowflakes or woke person said in one big date, what do we what do we need do, what do we need uh, uh, farmers for? We got grocery stores. I mean, you know, people just don't think ahead. We don't connect the dots. If I could recommend something for every one of your listeners, there is a new documentary out that everyone needs to watch to and, and let your family, friends, and associates know about it. It's called Grid Down, Power Up. Grid Down, Power Up. If you Google that, you'll find this documentary. Uh, professionally produced, and it's just full of experts. And it's not, this is not partisan. There's people on both sides of the aisle. And it's a long problem, long term problem we've known about for decades. And this documentary describes all the problems, the, the, the things that are going wrong. I can't, I can't go through all the details, but those big transformers you see, we don't produce many of them in the United States anymore. It will take us well over a year under good conditions. To rebuild the grid. So we're not talking about a day, a week, or even a month of no grid. We're talking about a year plus. And that's why 90% of the population could die. No food production, no water systems. 
an absolute loss of law and order for over a year. You know, you could lose, they estimated, 90% of the population. But, you know, you don't have to believe Dr. Bradley or Sam or me. Watch this documentary, Grid Down, Power Up. You'll hear experts all over the place warning you about that. And then more important, he, he used David Tice as a producer. He uses the term power up because he's trying to get a movement going to force the politicians to make them harden the grid. It's doable. We can harden the grid. But the problem is to harden the grid, you're going to have to invest some money, billions of dollars. I don't think it's that expensive relative to the the disaster, but you have to spend some money, which means electric rates are going to go up. So what happens to votes? Remember what I said earlier, what congressman's priority? Re-election. So if you vote to force utilities to harden the grid, rates will go up, and then our opponent will run against you saying, Congressman Schmuckety Schmuck just made your electric bill go up, you know, so many dollars a month, get him or her out of office, vote for me. And so They've been afraid to do this. We've known about the problem for decades, but congressmen, they're protected. They've got Mount Weather. We've got nothing. They're derelict in their duty and they're paralyzed is the problem, ladies and gentlemen. So let's talk about individually. If you are interested in a Fortitude Ranch kind of an idea, ladies and gentlemen, it's about $1,000 a person, what, annually? Is that right? That's the average. We have a country called membership policy, so you pay more up front to join, but it averages out. But we can have low-cost memberships if you don't want a fancy room, if you don't want a lot of privacy, if you want a really fancy luxury room, we've got those too. So it varies, but we make this affordable for the middle class. Our mission is to help our members survive the worst kind of disaster. And when we talk about power up because they want to power up faster and the demand is so incredible, they're now op- offering franchise opportunities for folks so that you can learn kind of how to do it and get involved. What does it take to franchise something in general? Um, well, the investment is in the facility. The franchise fees are low, but you got to you got to buy land. you got to build a lot of buildings. The equipment, we need full-time staff. So you're looking at anywhere from a half a million to a million dollars to get a facility up and running and with enough members that, you know, you can break even or make a little bit of profit. Now, if you've got an RV place, if you've got a ranch already, um, if you've got some kind of rural resort, you've already got maybe half or most of the investment made. So it's a cheaper add-on for that. And then there's a lot of voluntary survival communities that are out there and they're struggling. And I knew about it before. That's one of the reasons we founded Fortitude Ranch is we knew that voluntary survival last maybe a year or so, and then they fall apart. Uh, people fight. You can't get, I mean, it takes at least 50 people before we'll even declare one of our locations operational because you need a lot of guards on duty, especially at night. You need at least 50 people, and really our goal is hundreds at every location. So try to get 50 to 100 people voluntarily to agree on everything. It's, it's impossible. It's really hard, and that's where the franchise yeah. and the guidance and the documentation Correct. Yeah. that the people agree to and everything else comes in. How many acres is kind of one of the smallest kind of a facility? It really varies a lot. If you're sitting up against a national forest or a state forest, public land, and most of that tends to be very inaccessible, you don't need a lot of land. Because then a collapse, what are you going to do? You're going to go into the forest, and it's illegal, but who cares? There's no laws. There's no... There's no justice. It's survival. You go out and chop down trees there, and you'll hunt and poach there. Uh, but the reality is everyone who doesn't have preparedness is thinking, oh, I'll head to the hills and survive in the forest. Well, the deer are going to get hunted out pretty darn fast. But back to your question on land, if you're surrounded by a remote area, surrounded by a forest, you could get by with maybe as little as you know five or six acres. Uh, but we recommend more on the order of 20 to 40 acres minimum. 
our places, we have places in Nevada that, you know, have 175 acres, but we don't have a lot of trees there. So land is cheap and we can get a lot more, but it varies a lot. It varies situation depending on water supplies. We help our franchisees find good places and go through about three or four dozen criteria we look at. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We're about out of time, but what I wanted to do is introduce our audience to Drew to this Fortitude Ranch concept and idea. I'm hoping people will go to fortituderanch.com. They'll learn as much as they can. There's a lot of resources there as well. And then what we're going to do is we're going to have Drew back for a full two-hour uh, discussion in more detail because we've just barely scratched the surface. There is a lot here going on that can really benefit you and your family. It makes the undoable doable. Uh, I don't know if that's a good marketing tip, but there you have it, Drew. I believe the undoable is, you know, you just can't do it by yourself. It's too much money. It's too much time. It's too too many skill sets all brought together at once. It's almost impossible to do by yourself. Even if you get it done, when the marauders come and you get run over, it doesn't help you. And so the undoable becomes doable uh, is my final statement. Drew, do you want to make the final comment here, and then we'll have you back? No, I really appreciate it, Sam. You summed it up well, and be glad to be back on your show. And people can go to fortitranch.com if they're joining or checking out a franchise. And I really recommend everyone not just watch Grid Down Power Up, but you need to forward it to your friends because most people have no clue. They think of the grid going down as, oh, I might be cold for three days. No, the grid goes down, and there's a lot of ways, solar flares, cyber attacks, physical attacks of the hemp that uh, Dr. Bradley was talking about. When it goes down, it's game over. Our society, most of our power is going to be gone, and uh, there'll be a lot less Americans when we finally hopefully pull out in a couple of years. And that assumes that you know China doesn't or someone else doesn't invade while we're you know so knocked out and debilitated. Dr. Bradley, final comments yours. We need to think about this and uh, look forward. I, I've done a study on uh, what happened in South Africa with their amyloid Rhodesia and all those other places. And one of the things that's always left out when you have the mobs and the mass migrations is governance. Governance is a key issue, and almost nobody thinks about that. And, and proper government is well-defined, but uh, most people, it goes out the window real fast. Anarchy begins to rule. So... Anyway, yeah, it's something we got to real think about. Dr. Drew Miller, thank you so much, my friend. We'll have you back soon. I wanted to get this on instantly uh, when one of my listeners and, and uh, members of the CSPOA uh, got this to me. I said, man, we got to get Drew on ASAP. Uh, but I want to have a longer discussion, and we'll do it soon. FortitudeRanch.com is where you can learn more, ladies and gentlemen. Individual involvement and or franchising, both available. Drew, thank you, sir. Thank you, Sam. Dr. Scott Bradley, thank you, sir. We sure appreciate you as well. Ladies and gentlemen, we the people, along with the grace of the Almighty, can and will survive, protect ourselves. We declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America. Top the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk show. 
All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that networks refuse to use. No doubt continues now. This is the broadcast for January the 9th in the year of our Lord, 2023. The goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country using the supreme law of the land, the Constitution, using the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the Founding Fathers. This is our two of two. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org, back with me. Wow, he's been out of town for quite some time, but he's back and ready to rock and roll. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Sam. It is good to be back. I enjoyed the time away, but uh, it's always good to be back talking with you about politics, current events, things we ought to know, and things we ought to do. All things liberty, ladies and gentlemen, on your radio, that's for sure. Concessions made in the battle for Speaker of the U.S. House. Now, uh, I might be a little more hardcore than you on this, uh, Lowell, uh, but I uh, say shame on all the holdouts and shame on McCarthy and shame on all of them. (laughs) Why is that, Sam? What a disgrace. We don't need Kevin McCarthy. He's a deep state operative thug that's betrayed us the whole time. And now they make him speaker. They pretend they held out on it. But believe it or not, here's what Matt Gates said when asked why he finally caved. I ran out of things that I could even imagine to ask for, Gates said. Uh, so he wasn't really even trying to stop the speaker. He just wanted to extract a bunch of concessions. I don't really like it, though, when two people, literally Gates and McCarthy, hammer out these special rules uh, that none of them will really be followed in the, at the end of the day. Uh, and they never really intended to stop McCarthy from being Speaker. That wasn't even their goal, they virtually admit now. But what a disgrace, if you ask my humble opinion. The system is absolutely broken. They made concessions like, oh, golly, you got to have 72 hours to read a bill. First off, you can't even read 4,000 pages of legalese in 72 hours, first of all. So that's a sham. But they've already had that rule in place forever and ignored it. So that's not even a concession worth worth discussing uh, per se. Uh, one person can remove a speaker of the house now, or at least bring it up for vote. Look, it's just gonna the the speakership, the leadership in the house is so tenuous at best. Uh, now they'll be running from everybody's shadows, or it'll be meaningless. One of the two. Uh, in either case, it's not a good sign. So I'm not impressed, Lol. Hmm. Yeah, so our takes are different on that. It all depends on what rules actually implement cuz these concessions were simply you know verbal you know verbal promises verbal agreements and so the, the actual rules for the house for the next two years have not been set yet but they will be set probably this week or next and you know we'll see you know what rules they decide upon but i'm here to tell you that the rules of the chamber affect and have a dramatic impact on what business the chamber can conduct um, in uh, prior to 1859, for example, the committees, uh, the cha- committee chairs and, and members were, were decided by the entire chamber, not the Speaker of the House. <clears throat> Today, they're decided by the Speaker of the House. And that's why, you know, that's why Speaker has so immense power. That's why it's so corruptible is because you got a few speakers, I mean, a few people at the top. The speaker being the main one, if you can corrupt him, well, it takes less money to corrupt one person than it does 535 people, or if you're looking just at the House, 435 people. Um, and in truth, 
they don't really, you know, our representatives go back there. They say that they're back there to do the business of the people, but in truth, they're not able to conduct the business of the people because their legislation, their proposals, their bills never see the light of day. Why? Because the speakers appointed people on the committee chairmanships, they bury whatever the speaker wants buried. They don't allow anything to come up for consideration that the speaker doesn't agree with. Well, if the, if the, if the House would run by the rules that they had prior to 1859, that would be very different. You could actually, you know, any old representative would have the ability to bring any old thing up for consideration by the, by the committees and by the, by the entire House. So it really does make a big difference. I've seen it, happen, I've seen it play out in party politics. So at the uh, the county party level and at the state party level, I mean these rules, whether they're ignored or tweaked or if they're fashioned in a way that that um, um, you know tilts the playing field in favor of the the chair, then basically members of the the assembly don't have a chance. They they can't get anything done that they want done. And basically the, the chair or the president or the speaker, whoever it is, whatever assembly you're talking about, they ride roughshod over the whole assembly, <clears throat> getting what they want done and shutting out the rest of the body. I've seen it, and plus I've seen chairs who are very fair and that they allow for debate. They allow items to be brought up for consideration. So I'm here to tell you that <clears throat> the, you know, I agree with you, Sam, that the rules are often ignored, they're often broken, but if the body will treat them seriously and actually adhere to the rules, if they actually set good rules in place in, at the outset, which will probably happen this week, then that body has a much better chance of deliberating on and approving good legislation or better legislation. <clears throat> So that's kind of my overall take, my bottom line on. Yeah, on and I think topic. you're right on the points that if they would obey the rules and if they would do what's right, uh, you know, things that would change in a hurry. And if we had a good speaker, things would change uh, in a hurry. So either of those solutions could make the difference. But look, I'll just take the 75 or 72 hour rule. They've always had a thing saying they would let people read the bills first and then they betray it every time. Right. This is nothing new. Right, they can suspend a rule, but it takes a two-thirds majority to suspend a rule. So if you don't have two-thirds majority, then you can't suspend that rule, and they then have to go by the 72-hour rule. So it, it really depends on how, uh, how well, and well, well, it turns out that the speaker can try to ride roughshod over the assembly, but if you have a member of the House who knows the rules, then they can, by parliamentary procedure, they can force the assembly to follow the rules. So that's what need, that's that's why it's important to have a good set of rules to begin with. And then you need members of the assembly who understand those rules and uh, force the body to follow them. I mean, I think back to uh, a couple of years ago, um, back when COVID first uh, the lockdowns were first imposed. You know, Thomas Massey. Um, uh, he he was a stickler on the rule that they had to be in the chamber to do to be they had to be present to vote, <laughs> and so he drove all the way from Kentucky to Washington D.C. Uh, in order to enforce that one rule. He was there and he objected to the speaker moving ahead um, uh, in in basically allowing 
you know, absentee voting to, to happen. And he says, no way, we're, we're going to follow this rule. And he made a lot of enemies, but he sure championed the rule. And, you know, we, we need that type of muscle in, in the U.S. House. So, you know, I don't know if Gates has that, that type of integrity, but, you know, we're going to find out this week. And, and yes, we and are. In the next few years. All right. What about one person being able to challenge the speaker, if you will, a single representative to remove the speaker if he goes back on a policy agenda item? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a nice uh, concession. Uh, you know, before now it's been five. You had to have five people in order to you know support the motion to to vacate the the, the speaker. Um, now it just takes one. You know, and, and that's. That just makes it easier for the speaker's chair to be vacated. Uh, but remember, it, it might it, it, it might take a majority. It might take a super majority to actually vacate the chair. I believe in, in under parliamentary procedure, it takes simple majority. I imagine that's probably going to be the rule in the U.S. Yeah, House. Yeah. So if these they, twenty, if these twenty, or you could say two hundred and twenty-two, whatever you want to look at it, can't stop the speaker, then he, they still won't stop him later with one. That's right, but it, it, you can you can delay um, the you know the business by making the motion, and then that would require a vote on the motion. And so, if if you strategically want to hold up business, which of course I'm 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 pretty much in favor of gridlock in Washington D.C. I think the less business they do, then the less damage will be done to the republic. As long as they have a body that is not liberty-minded, which they haven't had for, for decades, for centuries probably, then the more gridlock that occurs back there, the better. So I'm, I'm all in favor of, of the ability to a single member to stand up and make the motion because that you know, just adds to the gridlock back there. There you go. Number two, a church-style committee will be convened to look into the weaponization of the FBI or the CIA, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think of this? you think they'll really make um, anything change? Will they arrest people? Will they create accountability? I think they need to shut down the FBI, not just have a church committee look into it. Yeah, this is uh, – I agree with you, Sam. Uh, this is kind of namby-pamby, but at least it's something. Um, it's almost like, you know, Ron Paul uh, would like to end the Fed, but he knows that he needs to audit the Fed first to get enough people angry enough about it to actually end the Fed. So what do you do with the FBI? You can't simply throw, I mean, there's, there is no political muscle to simply end the FBI. But if you look into the weaponization of the FBI and get enough people angry about it, then perhaps you could uh, end the FBI thereafter. So, you know, I, if they truly do a church style committee to look into that, then I'm all for it. I pray they do. I don't have a lot of confidence heads will roll virtually or figuratively speaking, but there you go. Hey, let's take a quick, uh, let's skip the break real fast, shall we? All right, term limits. I'm not a term limit guy. What about you? Nor nor am I. I uh, disagree with uh, the mechanistic term limits. Obviously, we have term limiting at the ballot box, and I'm, I'm all for that, but I'm not, I don't believe that, you know, programmatically or mechanistically, we have to just say, okay, all you get is two terms or four terms or whatever. Can you imagine, you know, Mitt Romney or John McCain as a lame duck for six whole years? <laughs> I mean, see, that's the biggest problem. The biggest danger with term limits is, is lame duck legislators. 
actually had. If I, if Do I we have a lame duck speaker had. of the house now is the next interesting question. They've disabled him so much. Can he even be speaker? Uh, well, the speaker should facilitate the business of the body. That's the role of the chair. And and so if he doesn't fulfill that role, then they ought to vacate that his his chair and get somebody in there who will um, facilitate consideration of. Yeah, my point know, is they should have done that. That's system. right, but they didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so term limits was in place uh, in under the Articles of Confederation, and they 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 actually considered it in Philadelphia at the Constitutional Convention, and 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 specifically decided not to implement term limits in the Constitution. And, uh, you know, they had experience with it. <clears throat> they they rejected it after that experience. And I, too, reject term limits. I don't think it's a good idea uh, because lame duck legislators are one of the biggest problems. That, you know, lame duck season is when you get the worst legislation that has ever, you know, comes out of Congress, usually occur, occurs during the lame duck session. Yeah, look at the one point seven trillion of recent Emory in about a few days ago, right? Yeah, absolutely right. All right, bills yeah, presented so I, to Congress. I know we mentioned this a little bit, but I want to mention it again. Mm-hmm. They claim mm-hmm. they'll be single subject, not mm-hmm. omnibus with all these earmarks and everything else. Do you think it'll even be real? Well, we can only hope that it will be real. I mean, if they'll hold him to the agreements that he made. Been, been great. <clears throat> you know, this idea of single subject, um, I'm all for that. I, you know, Utah has that uh, law in place, by the way, so that you can't, you know, pass a bill that addresses both education and tax reform, for example. Um, it, but you can address, have two bills, one addressing education and one addressing tax reform. What the Congress really needs to do that, too. <clears throat> I'm all for that. However, this idea of <clears throat> excuse me, prohibiting earmarks, I disagree with that because I think <clears throat> you need, you know, it's the job, the job of Congress to identify where the money is to be spent. That's their job. And so, you know, that's what an earmark is. <clears throat> um, it, you, you're specifying that this amount of money will be spent on this program or this service, whatever. And <clears throat> so that's the job of Congress. And so when you, when, <clears throat> When people come along and say, we're not going to have earmarks, you know, I just I just read a question if they understand their job as, as a member of Congress. Sam? There you have it. They're even talking about one of the, uh, I guess, agreements, if you will, or concessions made. The Texas border plan will be put before Congress. This is a four-pronged plan to complete physical border infrastructure fix border enforcement policies, change the laws, and I guess deal with cartels and other criminals, right? Yeah, the four-pronged plan. So this is a Texas border plan. I don't know if this is a plan that Texas has put into place or whether it's uh, just a plan someone has come up with that they call the Texas border plan. But but, um, I do like the, you know, enforcing our laws in the interior, and what that probably refers to is, is you, you uh, punish illegal aliens who are here and who are doing damage, you know, if they're breaking, they're, they're criminals here in our country, then they need to, you know, suffer the penalties, uh, you know, either and, and then be sent back to their, their country. Um, 
uh, you know, I what I what I what I don't quite understand, Sam, is you know, Congress, uh, the states did not give to Congress the authority to um, to enforce the immigration law. They they gave to Congress uh, naturalization, uh, you know, authority for naturalization, but not for immigration. And I think historically, the states handled immigration. You look at New York. It used to be a lot of immigrants coming through New York. Well, it was the state of New York that enforced the immigration law. And I think Arizona is beginning to do that. I think Texas is beginning to do that. Um, and, you know, I'm all for that uh, because I don't think that's necessarily uh, an authority given to Congress. What's your take on that, Sam? I think you're right for the most part. I think that there is a dual role to play. Uh, I think the president is to deal with external affairs in terms of negotiations with other countries. For example, when Donald Trump negotiated that, hey, the Mexican or the people that are in Mexico have to stay on the Mexican side until we vet them and figure out what we're going to do with their request for entry into the United States was a wise move by the president. So I think the states primarily should be in charge of, of um, uh, immigration. Like you're saying, but I also think the president can have a role and have a dual support uh, dealing with other countries and outside of the country. There's a role for the general government and the president uh, specifically uh, to help negotiate and support the states internally. Because remember, both parties, both dual sovereignties, the states and the general government, are supposed to protect the people from enemies, foreign and domestic. And you know what? We don't know if their enemies are not crossing our border. And so I think there's a dual role there. And I don't think that they need to conflict in that role. I think they have role or you know parts to play uh, in this overlap protection of America from enemies. Um, so uh, yeah, I agree with your point, but I also think that Donald did a great job back in the day uh, on that. Of course, it's been kind of gutted now by Biden, but I think there was a, a valuable role that he played. Yeah, and I think it's a more. It, I think it's important uh, for states to step up and, and take a larger part of that role. I don't think states really have shouldered any of that burden for maybe over a century, um, maybe since the, the Civil War, the War for Southern Independence. Um, and, and I think states, if they would take a, a you know step up and shoulder more of that burden, then we wouldn't be so dependent uh, on the on the president. You know, Trump Trump does a good job, but then Biden comes in and reverses everything Trump did. Well, that wouldn't happen. That flip-flopping wouldn't happen if states would step up and take a stronger role in uh, protecting, you know, in enforcing immigration law. So, um, yeah, I, I can go along with the dual role there, but I really think states haven't, you know, kept up their part. They of haven't done their duty, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I also think, though, Congress has a role to play, and I think they can craft laws. One of the best ways to stop illegal immigration, in my opinion, is slam that door shut with harsh penalties, but then work on appropriate legal immigration. You know what? The right people yeah. should be allowed to come for the right reasons. And it seems like the more yeah. you're willing to do right, the more you're stuck and can't progress. That's the wrong answer. We need to shut down the illegal door and open a wide, broad door for those who want to come for the right reasons, those who can get maybe uh, employment sponsorships and other ways to not be on the dole while they come to America and, and, and embrace America, making sure that we do some vetting that they're not criminals or making sure that they don't bring diseases in. And there's a lot of roles to play there, uh, but we can reward those who want to come for the right reasons and who can bless America. There's a lot of value to that that I don't think we're giving credence to either. Lowell. Right now. And there, there's some people who say that, uh, the border states shouldn't 
be fast with, you know, we, in other words, interior states should help the border states. And, and you know, and I, I agree to some extent they should. Now, I know that the coastal states, they benefit tremendously from the trade that comes through them. And, and, and so that's a benefit that they have that the interior states don't have. So, you know, so it kind of works out, I think, in the end, in the wash. I think it probably... Yeah, they get more in trade and dollars to support the immigration uh responsibilities they have. I think the other cities internally and the states internally, the best way they can help is not create sanctuary cities, uh, creating Uh friendlies on, quote, both sides of the states that are trying to stop this and create sanity and stability to this. The best way we can do it is create the same penalties across the country uh, and support them. Look, you're not allowed to come illegally into America through a border state and or to a given distant city. You're, you're just not allowed to do that. And so I think we can help quite a bit by, um, you know what, bringing these people to the border and, and, and yeah. deporting them. And I think states in on the interior have a real responsibility to help with that. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to digress too much on this uh, point I'm going to make next, but there's a Utah inland port idea that, <clears throat> that, that I think is um, a real Trojan horse. I think there's some real danger in having an, uh, an inland port here in Utah. Basically, these containers are shipped to the coast and then they put them on rail cars and, and, and come into Utah before they're ever checked. You know, they come all the way to an inland port and the inland port has authority and they're kind of like a sovereign authority that Utah can't touch and that, the, um, yeah, that you know, they, they can become a power unto themselves like a brand new jurisdiction or a brand new state. And so I'm not for the Utah Inland Port. I think it's a bad idea, and I wish I agree. It turns Utah into uh, beyond a border state, if you will. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes us a border state, and, uh, and and but 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 then the goods get here long, and, and they're already here before we can send them back. And you know, sending them back is going to be really tough. So <clears throat> I'm I don't know. We'll have to discuss the, the Utah Inland Port uh, later uh, a date, Sam, because. I yeah, but it is a huge danger and worthy of discussion yeah. without a doubt. All right, number six, they say COVID mandates will be ended as well as will all funding for them. They'll get rid of uh, what emergency funding. This could be a welcome change, Lowell. It certainly could, um, and, and I think it would be. You know, the military who uh, were, you know, the, the vaccine mandate was imposed on people in the military, and a lot of them took the jab. Uh, you know, you know, willingly. A lot of them took the jab unwillingly, and then a fair number of them left the military because they refused to take the jab, and that decimated our military. Um, and and so if if Congress would uh, step forward and say, look, we're not going to mandate the jab uh, here, then then we wouldn't lose so many good people as a military, and would and I think that'd be a good thing. Now, one other danger I see in Congress's uh, ending the COVID mandate, the, the vaccine mandate, is that they didn't have that the power in the first place. They didn't have the authority in the first place to even uh, mandate vaccines, right? I mean, the states never gave the uh, general government power to, uh, vac- uh, to, to mandate vaccines. And so by passing a law that prevents the mandate, it, you're, it, it also, you're tacitly saying that they had the power to impose the mandate. 
And, and that's a power that states never gave to them. So I see a big danger there, Sam. I see a big danger, but I also see it pretty good if we can defund this, though. That is one thing that Matt Gates and others pushed for that I think, you know what, if we do it right, it could have some teeth. The only question is, will we do it right? Quick pause. Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org, on your radio. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Lance Pry. Bloomberg is reporting Goldman Sachs plans to cut 3,200 jobs starting this week as part of a cost-cutting plan after a big slump in deal-making plagues the company in recent months. The layoffs amount to nearly 7% of the 49,000 employees on the bank's payroll as of September. Fees from advising on deals, stock offerings, and bond sales fell more than 40% in December from a year earlier. Prince Harry, just ahead of his release of the memoirs detailing behind the scenes and events, was talking with ITV. I love my father, I love my brother, I love my family, I will always do. Nothing of what I've done in this book or otherwise has ever been to, uh, any intention to harm them. The royal family never expected Harry's love of his life to be an American actress. I don't think they were ever expecting me to get or to become uh, to get into a relationship with, with uh, someone like Meghan, who had you know a very successful career. Critics are calling it a show as President Biden visits the U.S.-Mexico border after his administration has allowed roughly 5 million illegal immigrants into the United States under his watch. Biden, who on Sunday made his first trip to the U.S.-Mexico border since taking office. During his visit to El Paso to assess enforcement operations, Abbott said he hand-delivered a letter to the president in which he criticized the administration's border policies. He called the visit... $20 billion too late and two years too late. I'm Dave Collins. The Mega Millions jackpot is up to $1.1 billion before taxes. The next drawing will take place tomorrow night, January 10th. The cash payment option, should you prefer, would be a payout of $568.7 million. Do remember the odds are not in your favor. The National Football League season has come to an end. Fourteen teams move on to the playoffs starting Saturday the 14th. This is USA News. The holidays are here. Achieve gifting greatness when you give perfectly aged, tender, delicious Omaha Steaks. The steak experts at Omaha Steaks have curated special gift packages to take the guesswork out of gifting and make you a holiday hero. Go to omahasteaks.com and take advantage of 50% off site-wide. Plus, use code TREAT at checkout to get an additional $40 off your order. Send an assortment of mouth-watering favorites guaranteed to impress, like the legendary Butcher's Cut Filet Mignon, air-chilled boneless chicken, ultra Juicy burgers, even easy to prepare, ready in a flash, comfort meals. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away, so shop early and beat the shipping rush. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code TREAT at checkout. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com, get 50% off site-wide, plus use promo code TREAT at checkout to get that extra $40 off your order. Minimum order may be required. I want to dedicate this song to Mr. Rupert Murdoch. All right, live it on your radio. A lot of concessions. How many of them will be real is the real question that I have. Lowell Nelson, campaignforliberty.org, discussing the details with me. 
They also say budget bills. Stop the increase in the debt ceiling and more. Is this even real, low? Yeah, this is a promise I don't think they'll be able to keep. Uh, this is not a rule-type change. This is uh, more of a you know, policy agreement. And those, you know, they blow in the wind. I, I don't know. I mean, it would be nice if they would stop raising the debt ceiling, but <clears throat> they never have the guts to do it because they fear government shutdowns, right? Which is, I, I welcome a government shutdown, but uh, most people don't. So, yeah, I, I don't think much is going to come of this one. Uh, you know, the BBC article, I, I, I looked at two different articles. Uh, one, the first one uh, came from the Epic Times second one came from BBC, and it's interesting to me that the BBC never covered most of the points made by the Epic Times, and I don't know if that's because mm, they didn't want us to know some of the agreements, uh, or whether, you know, they're just uh, trying to, uh, uh, you know, or, or, or whether they, you know, didn't know everything that, uh, uh, I guess it was Representative Ogles that reported to the Epic Times all the agreements that were going on. So anyway, the BBC, they mentioned two or three others. Um, uh, one was, uh, you know, McCarthy apparently agreed to appoint a hardcore conservative to the powerful House Rules Committee. Um, so, you know, that would be, a, that would be nice. Um, I still dislike the fact that the Speaker, all the power, uh, resides in one person, you know, the power to, to point people onto committees uh, resides in one person. It's so corruptible. It develops, a, it, it results in a system of patronage, right, where, you know, you don't get any of your legislation considered unless you lockstep with the speaker and support him in what he wants to do. So if, if you're like a Ron Paul and you, you know, and you only vote for constitutional legislation, then there's no hope that your legislation will ever be considered. And that's exactly what happened. All those years Ron Paul was in Congress, and you know this, Sam, he would always introduce bills that were constitutional, like you know, getting the U.S. out of the United Nations, for example. What happened to that bill every single term? It was sent to a committee to die, right? They always, the speaker would always send it to a committee and, and instruct the chair of that committee to bury that bill they were not going to allow that bill to see the light of day. So that's the system of patronage that exists there. If you want your bill heard, you've got to support the speaker in what legislation he wants done. And uh, and so that's another reason why we get so much bad legislation. And, and it really amounts to so pay to play power. with the speaker is what it is. It's criminal activity because of the compromises and the conflict of interests that arise uh, from such an abusive, hostile uh, relationship, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why I've kind of lost all confidence in Congress, because they just simply cannot, they cannot make progress. Even when they make progress, it, it ends up being bad in some way or it ends up being negated in some way. And really, progress simply, uh, sadly, doesn't seem to happen. Now, strangely, nobody knows all the concessions that were made behind the scenes. Those are the ones that, um, you know, really are documented by a lot of different media organizations. But the BBC article mentions additional concessions that I don't know if other people realize. Um, Lowell? Well, uh, yeah, it, it says that McCarthy may have agreed to give chairmanships of influential committees to some of the, the holdouts. You know, and whether that happens or not, will, it remains to be seen. But that would be um, that would be helpful because then some of these bills that 
normally would not see the light of day, <clears throat> maybe maybe they'll be actually considered. So that's somewhat encouraging. Another another one is that uh, you know holdouts are complaining about out of out of control federal spending, and you know everybody should be up in arms about that. But you know the campaign coffers of these congressmen are filled by special interests, and so they have to vote for uh, con continued spending. And uh, that's one of the reasons we have such out-of-control federal spending. Well, some observers believe McCarthy agreed to some constraints on fiscal spending, such as tying debt increases to budget cuts, uh, uh, or such as allowing individual lines of spending to be struck from pending legislation by votes on the House floor. You know, that, that, that would be a welcome change because, you know, Pelosi never allowed you know, people to strike a, an item from a budget bill, uh, you know, the spending, you know, a, a certain amount of money in a spending bill, she wouldn't allow that to be to be cut, you know, by an amendment on the House floor. Basically, she said, look, here's the spending bill. You give it an up or down vote, and we're not going to take any amendments. So this would be a welcome change. And then finally, um, uh, uh, I, I, I just have to say, Sam, that, and maybe we I've spent way too much time on this already, but I'm kind of like you. Washington, D.C. is kind of like a lost cause. And I'm happy when we got good things happening back there, but the real answer is local. We, you know, lo the best politics is local. We need to think locally and act locally because if we solve our local problems first, then that will bubble up and solve our, you know, our, our, our county, state, and national problems. But uh, always looking to the, you know, Congress to solve our problems locally, uh, you know, is, is, is insane. It just doesn't work. It's not the it's right It's searching way for fool's things. gold, ladies and gentlemen. That's all I've got to say about it. It is searching yeah. for fool's gold. Utah mm -hmm. Eagle Forum Annual Conference. It was incredible. I was there. I didn't get to hear a lot of the speakers, but I did some incredible interviews, and I did talk to a lot of people and uh, et cetera. But, Lowell, you have some inside scoop. Uh, I guess uh, Tim Ballard was there speaking first, right? Uh, he was one of the speakers in the morning. I missed the first couple of hours because I was out talking with people in the lobby and, and so forth. But I got in there to hear the last part of Tim's speech. And one of the things he warned us about, I'll just mention a highlight. I'm not, I'm not going to attempt to be comprehensive in my coverage of the, uh, the conference. But one thing he mentioned, he warned us that some, this 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 term called age fluidity, right, is going to be the next big thing coming down the road. We were all familiar with the term gender fluidity, right, the ability of someone to identify as a woman or as a man or as an animal or whatever. This gender fluidity, we're all familiar with that. We've heard about that for several years now. Well, the next big thing is the first I have ever heard of it, Sam, was, was on Saturday, age fluidity. Meaning you can, you, you, meaning a 13-year-old might choose to identify as a 21-year-old, and I mean it sounds outlandish that 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 could be, but but what what why would they do that? Well, because of the many laws against uh, sex with minors, right? If you can, if you have age fluidity and you identify as an adult, even though you're you know you're only 15 years old then your partner is not going to be prosecuted for sex with a minor because he's not having sex with a minor. He's having sex with an adult. It's a consensual thing because this 15-year-old identified 
herself as a 25-year-old. That is age fluidity, and it's going to it, it's going to rock our world, according to, to Tim. I mean, he sees it coming, and by uh, I mean, I, I was flabbergasted that there's even a concept of age fluidity. But uh, he says it's coming, man, and uh, it's going to increase pedophilia. It's going to increase, uh, you know, sex with minors. Um, and he said, man, you look at all the great civilizations like Rome and Greece that crumbled. What was the last step they took before crumbling? It was pedophilia, Sam. And I'm, I'm not a historian, but I'll take his word for it until I can read some of these ancient histories. But he may very well be right. We may be on the very brink of destruction here in this in this country. I mean, our society may be way far gone, Sam. What do you think? I think he's right about that, but I think it'll be pedophilia. I think it'll be uh, children. I think it'll be animals. Uh, I think that we haven't seen the depravity. Uh, I think they will eventually start moving to sacrifice. Uh, of mm. humans uh, and animals as well. That is a uh, cornerstone of satanic worship and a cornerstone of many mm. gods as opposed to the true and living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so uh, I wish he was wrong. I pray he's wrong. But you can see the evolution uh, continuing before our very eyes. Um, think about 20 years ago. This idea that there would be gender fluidity would never have even been taken seriously. We would have laughed them right out of the schoolhouse. Now, hey, we're getting ran out of the schoolhouse by the FBI. So you don't think it's coming? It is coming. Write it down. Uh, and, you know, whether it's with children, with animals, whatever, they absolutely um, crumble societies by their um, violation of God's law. And the more you take away agency, whether it be of children or anybody else, the more you take away agency, the greater chance... Uh, that people will suffer. Hey, can you guys skip this break too? We then went to David Barton who talked directly about scripture. And I've talked on this program many times about how the word of God is more powerful than the sword. Uh, David Barton doubling down on the same point. He's a dear friend of mine and has been on this radio program uh, many times over the years. David Barton standing tall for what matters most, Lowell. I really liked how David described some of the speeches and the writings of our founders and, and the framers of uh, the Constitution. Um, he, he said that um, you look at their, the, uh, what they, for example, the, you know, give me liberty, uh, uh, yeah, give me liberty, give me death speech. There's, uh, there's, it's like that whole speech is just uh, sprinkled with scriptural verse. You know, and that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the Bible, but I never realized that so much of the writing and speeches of these gentlemen in the 1700s was sprinkled with so much Scripture. I mean, that was, I was astounded by the slides that uh, Dave Barton put up, and just it just whetted my appetite and piqued my interest, so to speak. I want, I want to study their speeches a lot more and, and, then, you know, and, and then see where they're anchored in the Bible. I, I was fascinated by his presentations. That was the very first time, Sam, that I've heard David uh, and you know heard David Barton speak in person like that, and I was just very impressed. Um, you know, another thing he said that uh, caught my attention was that not only did they read the Bible, but they memorized Bible verses 
as well. And that's why they were so, that's why they're able to so easily sprinkle their speech and their writings with uh, biblical scripture because they had memorized so much, so much of the Bible as well. And that came out in David Barton's challenge to us. There at the conference, he challenged us to read the Bible, not only read scripture every day, um, you know, uh, but also to memorize the scriptural verse as well. He challenged us very specifically to memorize a, a verse of scripture every week and to read uh, scripture every day. Uh, talking about the daily meal uh, of, of uh, feasting on the scriptures, you know, citing the passage from the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And that's what he means when he says, read the scriptures every day. That's your daily bread. That's what the Lord meant when in the Lord's Prayer, when he says, give us this day our daily bread. So I, I, my, you know, my admiration for David Barton um, is immense, and I'm just really pleased by what he said, Sam. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I believe turning to God and studying the Word of God and applying the Word of God can do more for America than almost anything else. And I think David Barton nails this reality. He talked about, hey, you know what? Schools in the early days of our republic focused on the Declaration of Independence, the United States Constitution, the state constitution, and George Washington's farewell address. What a huge uh, opportunity that would be. Marlo Oaks also spoke, Lol. And he talked about uh, ESG, which stands for Environmental Social Governance. It's what, basically, it's an umbrella. for When you think of the social credit scoring system employed in China, uh, that's, that's ESG. That's part of ESG. And uh, I like Marlo's presentation. See, he's our state treasurer. He is the treasurer of the state of Utah. And when he talks about the dangers of ESG, and he's the person who has the authority to actually make a difference, and he is making a difference. He's been talking, uh, he's been warning about ESG for months now, going all over the state, and, and maybe even outside the state of Utah, warning us about the, the dangers of ESG. He named the three entities that are the worst purveyors and influencers of Marxism today, which, of course, Marxism today is just soft totalitarianism. But the three biggest purveyors are BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. And so what he has done as treasurer of the state of Utah, he's, he's, he's punished these three organizations by removing Utah's assets from their portfolios which I think is fantastic. You, you, you want to hurt these guys, then you get the other treasurers in other states to do, to do the same thing. You hurt them economically. And, 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 and he also mentioned a website, which I'll, I'll, I'll give you right now, strive.com slash five questions. <clears throat> that website again is strive.com slash five questions. I looked at this website yesterday, and what it is is you – as an individual now, can also ask your financial advisor where your money is, your assets, your in your portfolio, and you ask him these five questions, and then you can direct your financial advisor to move your money into a fund that is not associated with BlackRock or with Vanguard or with State Street. And in this way, you punish the three 
biggest purveyors of this ESG, and uh, it, it's a way to, to get back at these folks, and hopefully we'll be able to um, decapitate ESG so that this social credit scoring does not become a thing here in the United States. Sam? Very scary discussions, to say the least. Marlo Oaks doing a phenomenal job. Environmental social governance, we've got to look out for it. It is communism in a uh, very delightful candy wrapper, if you will. It is evil. Then Jenny Strack spoke as well. Lol. Um, he uh, was from Heritage Action, <clears throat> and uh, and so if you want to go to heritageaction.com, you you can you will find there a seven point agenda to save America, and uh, it's it's pretty comprehensive. You know, I I look through this; uh, it's pretty 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 good. Um, I'll just uh, real quickly hit the, the seven bullet points here: empower parents to make education choices, secure America's borders, and reduce crime ensure free and fair elections, reverse the growth of regulations, spending, and inflation, counter the threat of communist China, hold big tech accountable, and protect unborn life and family formation. So, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, she spoke in generalities, so I don't have any, anything very specific, but I did enjoy her presentation. It's fairly comprehensive, and boy, if we could accomplish that, <clears throat> then we would save this republic sam amen to that it's something that we need to be anxiously engaged in a good cause ladies and gentlemen heritageaction.com to learn more bobby clayson also spoke with an incredible coming food crisis and what we can do about it lol he identified the meat uh, the, the fact that there's basically four meat processing plants in the country and that because of that, if they, if even one of them closes, you get shortages in meat, and of course the prices therefore go up. And there's also a fewer and fewer food growing and food processing plants as well. You know, uh, and you know they're being bought up and um, by Bill Gates and others. Um, uh, the the food growing areas, these lots of agricultural uh, turf. <clears throat> and um, and that's what's uh, going to help contribute to the shortages in in food, uh, meats and foods. And so one of the I'll just pick one thing out from the solutions that he proffered. Uh, and one of the the four solutions he gave is to, is what he, what he calls a private membership community. And this is a community of private businesses. They 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 network in a way whereby they, they protect themselves from government regulation. Um, and you see, if you take money from the government, then you're beholden to the government. You have to follow their regs. But if you're a truly private entity and you protect yourself uh, properly, <clears throat> then you can do what you want, uh, you know, as long as you're not committing fraud and cheating people, right, you're not, as long as you're not dishonest. And so you're free to operate uh, in this uh, private membership community, uh, which would result in a greater number of products and services for consumers at lower prices. Uh, they plan to use goldbacks, by the way, which uh, will be a much more stable currency than the Fiat Federal Reserve note, which is steadily declining in value, and also better than the digital dollar, which will be manipulated with social credit scoring. 
So um, I like the concept. I hope it comes to fruition. They're still working on putting this together. But here in Utah, I am looking forward to this private membership community. And uh, I will have probably some products and, uh, that I will uh, uh, make available on this community network, uh, goat milk, for example, um, and so that, um, you know, I, I want to be a part of it. I, Amen to I that. It's, it's solutions, and that's what I love the most about what Bobby Clayson talks about. And many of these speakers we will be getting on the air to follow up as well uh, with us. Merrily uh, Boyack also spoke about pro-life. Uh, she talked about post Roe v. Wade, right? Because with the Dobbs decision, which was ha- occurred just last year, last uh, June, I believe, um, uh, it, you know, basically abortion <clears throat> can be outlawed by the states. That's what Dobbs said. The Dobbs decision said that we're going to send this back to the states, let the states make a decision, so that any state that had the uh, that had banned abortion, then uh, those laws went into effect when Dobbs decision was rendered but uh you know she she mentioned that in june the killing of babies in utah stopped for two days saturday and sunday but the killing began again on monday because judge stone granted an 18-week stay of the utah law banning abortion and he later made that that stay permanent and uh, we have since then killed 1,742 babies here in Utah. It's, it's, it's horrendous. It's tragic. And, um, uh, but Pro-Life Utah is championing the, uh, the innocent lives, and they are planning a memorial uh, uh, to be held on January 25th of this month at the Utah State Capitol at 1230, right during the lunch hour, of the, uh, you know, so that the Capitol legislatures can attend this memorial. Basically, they're going to honor those 1,742 babies that have been killed by abortion since Judge Andrew Stone placed that injunction on Utah's uh, uh, abortion ban. Um, Now, the number will be a little bit higher uh, by the time it gets to January 25th because there are babies being killed every day here in Utah because of Judge Stone's injunction. Um, the memorial service will be held during the legislative lunch break so that Utah lawmakers can see the effect of that injunction. And um, I don't know, Sam, this is, as you have said over and over, one of the defining issues of our time, how we treat life, the sanctity of life. And uh, I'm telling you what, if you, want to, if you want to be part of this, you want to get clued in to what Pro, Pro-Life Utah is doing, they're championing the, the sanctity of life, then text LIFE to this number, 385-200-9929. That number again, you text LIFE to 385-200-9929. Sam? And there was one other person there that I think is really worthy uh, of discussion. I interviewed uh, Suzanne Mann, who has been involved with several others in creating what's called Latter-day Saints for Life.org. And uh, individuals that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are involved now in a huge pro-life group that I joined as well to make a big difference there. So there's a lot going on on that front. And Delaney England wrapped things up for the Eagle Forum pretty much, right? Yes, with a preview of House Bill 131 entitled Vaccine Passport Prohibition. 
This bill prohibits the use of health passports in the state of Utah. It's broad enough in scope so that it's not limited just to COVID-19, but but with the recent G20 worldwide push for vaccine passports, that's why this bill is important. This bill protects businesses because business owners will not incur any cost or the administrative overhead of, of, of trying to keep track of all their employees and whether they're They've taken the jab or not, right? So it relieves them also of the liability of, uh, you know, for uh, knowing whether their employees got the jab or not. So it's a good bill. It ensures, you know, for most private and governmental employees, there are some exceptions, but for most, it's going to ensure that an individual's current and prospective employment opportunities will be based on job skills, not jab status. Sam? Amen to that. It is absolutely huge. The Eagle Forum event was incredible. A lot of people doing a lot of good things. I'll tell you that right now. We want to talk about 15-minute cities, but we'll have to leave them uh, in detail for another day. It's just too good of a topic to gloss over. But look up 15-minute cities so you can learn, ladies and gentlemen. They are a disaster, but they are coming to a city or a district or a whatever you want to call it uh, near you. And it's not going to be fun or good uh, at all. But I do want to say, folks, you need to get involved with Campaign for Liberty. Campaignforliberty.org does a phenomenal job all over the country, and you can find your coordinator there soon if you go to campaignforliberty.org. Final word, Law, when does the Utah legislative session start? And I know you'll have great updates on that as well, right? January 17th is the first day of the session. It's a 45 day session. They will consider, you know, upwards of a thousand bills. About 500 of them will get passed, and you think about that number of bills getting passed in just 45 days, it is horrendous. Ladies and gentlemen, pray we're under siege, but we'll count on Lowell for the updates. Thanks so much. Ladies and gentlemen, freedomsrisingsun.com is Dr. Bradley's site. LibertyRoundtable.com, LovingLiberty.net are my sites. And CampaignForLiberty.org is the great site for Lowell Nelson. Thank you so much, sir. God save the Republic of the United States of America.